Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Revival is not five-hour services, although you can have revival for five hours and it feel like five minutes. I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've ever been in his presence and you're so undone by him and and then all of a sudden they're drawn this service to a close and you're like, what, 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 what? We just, feels like we just got started. That's what happens when you lean into the eternal realm. There's this, we, we lean into eternity and it's like time stands still, still. And uh, my 30 minute plan for worship has turned into 47 minutes and I didn't want to stop but I thought okay I, I want to speak we have youth I'm not worried about time I'm really not worried about time but I want to say it like this uh, I grew up doing revivals my dad was an evangelist we had a greyhound bus six kids mom and dad we drove all over we have been in I think almost all 50 states maybe shy of one and we would go have a revival and our revival would usually last for a week people get healed that particular church would get revved up but what happened was because it began on this date and it ended on this date we defined revival as something that started and ended But then, in the 90s, God started doing something, at least for those of us uh, that were around the church world then, and we hear about this revival in Brownsville, Florida, at the Assembly of God Church. And uh, I think that revival lasted for about five years. No, not five years, longer than that. But it began on Father's Day. And then I don't know what the end date was, but at some point it came to an end. And so as revivalists, we still put a date and we, we a definition that revival is something that begins and ends. What did Michael Miller say revival is? Revival is Jesus having active leadership of his church. So revival is not limited to 47 minutes of worship and a 30-minute sermon. Revival is the normal kingdom life. Revival is... Entering into a kingdom that never ends. 
an ever-increasing kingdom. Once you become a part of this kingdom, it continues and it expands and it grows. And we might, it grows whether you feel it or not. Whether you're aware of it or not, it is sustained. It has held on. There has been seasons of time where a remnant of people, those that would touch something, and maybe they weren't able to hold on to it, but their memories caused them to hold on and hold on and hold on and hold on. So I want to declare to you that I want us to redefine revival. I, just, I want to say to you that Dwell Church is revival. We're a presence people. We're a revival people. We're a people, a glory people. Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> Babe, I'm glad you brought this back out. Tommy spoke this word to us on February 27th, 2022. It's time to go north. If you weren't here, check out the podcast. Go to Facebook or YouTube and watch that again. In fact, I would encourage you, if you were here, to go watch it again anyway and get yourself ready for Sunday. So, I don't know where this is going to go. I'm just going to start and end somewhere, okay? Uh, Unapologetically. I wonder... You remember that scripture David said, oh, if I could just have a drink from the well and his mighty men snuck into the, the camp where the well was and, and, and they brought him and then he took it and poured it out. I'm not going to pour it out. I, I need a drink. Yeah, that would just be like, would that just kind of irritate you if you went and got it for me and then all of a sudden I just start pouring it out? It's a lease, so we don't own the carpet. So maybe I would, maybe I would take a chance. Nicole and I used to be the picture-perfect worship leaders. There was an anointing that we walked in. It was there. Uh, even before we were married, we were marked, we were anointed. And then the combustion of our uh, combined anointings, the, there was an anointing that we walked in. God was blessing us. We knew all the right moves. Start with two or three fast songs. Then move into two slow songs, transition. And this was before the seeker-sensitive move uh, came into being and uh, we were relegated to a 15-20 minute worship experience and then maybe a, a little quick sermonette. I heard this one old preacher, he used to live up in Van Austin, his name was Dwight Moody. Not this, not the Moody, but this, this pastor, is, it's an old man. I was a kid and he was in his 90s, but he was asked to preach at a conference and they asked him if he would give a sermonette and his response was, Sermonettes are for Christianettes. (laughs) 
Let's get a couple thousand people in. Quick, get through two or three songs. Don't forget to take the offering. Then we'll have a sermonette for some Christianettes. But, but we were pretty good worship leaders. But that all ended the day the glory of the Lord swept in and knocked us on our faces. We were ruined by a hit and run (laughs) that left us with a limp. The once respected worship leaders that everyone knew had been changed into weeping, broken worshipers with the perpetual hunger for more. We became burning hearts, no longer interested in the kind of revival where people come to hear a man preach. But we, we're in pursuit of the reviver. When he comes to town, revival comes with him. God changed us in an encounter that dislocated us from our denominational credentials. Do we even have credentials? You were Assembly of God. I was Church of God. Somehow we got morphed into a faith movement and then... We got changed. And for a while, I remember it's all we could do, but stand and try to worship and all we could do was weep. Remember we'd, remember the first service we went to when the Lord called us to go on the road and we really weren't even sure that he was calling us to go on the road, but we went and sang at this church after our encounter and we sang this little song and we really kind of didn't even know what we were walking in, but the residue of our encounter wrecked this place and we didn't even know. It's like, we, we just, we sang one song and we went and sat down and the pastor was weeping as we were stepping down and he said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep on doing it. My friend, I'm going to talk over the kids singing, all right? Lord, let them have revival back there. Lord, just surprise them. Surprise them. Surprise them with an encounter, with an invasion back there. Let them have a hit and run. My friend, Phil Muncy, anybody ever heard of Phil Muncy? Uh, He coined this phrase, the throne zone. You ever heard of the throne zone? I know you know what I'm talking about when, when I just say it. It describes the atmosphere of worship that goes on around the throne of God. 
if somehow we can recreate the throne zone on earth as it is in heaven, if our worship can become so compelling that the manifest presence of God begins to put itself on display in our church, then we'll begin to see the glory of God move through our, the streets of our city. When this happens, the lost will come to Christ on a massive scale that we've never seen before. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But we've, con we've concentrated so much on the drawing instead of the lifting. We're trying to do his job instead of our job. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You want to grow a church? Let him grow it. This is more than just a teaching metaphor. It's not just the preacher's phrase. It's a spiritual reality revealed in the prophet Ezekiel's vision thousands of years ago. The prophet saw a river signifying the glory of God flowing out from under the doors of his sanctuary and into the world, bringing life wherever the river went. The depth of the river was shallowest at the sanctuary door, but it got deeper the further it flowed. Natural rivers are shallow at the, the source, the headwaters, the head, the head source. And they flow faster and deeper and wider as they flow towards the sea. This is a picture of the God kind of revival. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And he wants to do something so big that it is beyond our ability to think to conceive it he's moved upon men in the past I mentioned Brownsville we were privileged to visit there on more than one occasion I've told you about the experience with the revival in Houston where, where Tommy Tenney was uh, was where the pulpit split. You, you know that story? I'm not even going to try to tell it. It's just the glory of God came. The same kind of move happened to us. At our church where Nicole and I, Mike was there in the choir. He was there that night when the glory came. I remember sitting on the edge of the stage. We were having prayer meeting from 4.30 to 6 o'clock and we had a man evangelist there that was supposed to speak and Tommy was at this revival in Houston but 
God spoke to him to leave, go to the airport, catch a plane, fly to Chicago, and come to this church. And so we didn't know any of that was in the works, but we, there's such a sense that God is about to break or open and do something. It was like that Sunday morning, if, if, if I had a fork and I know where to stick it in the air, all of heaven would come pouring out upon us. But I didn't have a fork. And so we called a prayer meeting that day. And I remember, I was at this point, I'd been several places and there was such a roar of prayer. I remember that prayer meeting, that season of prayer that we went through, which is really what I consider as we began our whole prayer movement at the top of the year. Establishing prayer every Monday morning at six o'clock, every Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And now in the last few weeks, we've started every, fr every Friday at noon for an hour. And we, as a prophetic symbol, we've brought a candle and we said, we're gonna keep this flame burning. We're gonna pray, we're gonna pray. And I want you to know, what is driving me are the memories of the season of prayer that we walked through and the move of God that came as a result of it. And that's what I want. I remember sitting on the stage though and my pastor was up here and, you know, he was kind of like a Jekyll Hyde pastor. There were days you loved him and then there were days you were sad when you drove on the parking lot and his car was there. He would bark at us, and then other times he would just love us. And so he was a hard man to work for. I love him, still love him today. But uh, So I have to tell you that because he's here, and he's in one of those good seasons. I mean, his, his, his prayer life uh, at, at this particular time, I just saw him so on fire, so hungry. And so... We're having this prayer meeting at 4.30 and uh, the place is full of people and there's a roar of prayer in the room that I never heard in that church ever. And so I saw Tommy Tenney. It was getting close to 6 o'clock, maybe 5.30, quarter till. I look over and I saw Tommy walk in in the overflow and, the, and we got the room a little dark uh, just for the prayer meeting. We had some lights on the side of the walls that made, lit it up a little bit. Uh, but it wasn't even as light as this. And uh, I saw him come in, and I tell you, it was like Charlton Heston coming off the mountain in the movie The Ten Commandments. At least it was for me. I, it was like there was a glow on him. And then at 6 o'clock, uh, our pastor stepped up to the pulpit, and I'm just still sitting over here weeping and praying. And he gets up and he says, I had a dream this week that Tommy Tenney showed up unannounced. And I see him over in the overflow, and I want him to come up. And I just remember sitting on the stairs there as Tommy walked by and my pastor was stepping down, handing him the microphone. And I, Tommy said, I, I, he was already weeping. And he said, I don't know what's gonna happen if I say something. He didn't, they didn't even talk before. He didn't come, he just showed up because God told him to come. And so the greatest thing I ever heard my pastor say was, I don't care what happens. 
And Tommy stepped up and tried to talk. His hands are on the pulpit and this groan comes out. He just starts weeping. And when, when the sound of his weeping, broken worship was released, there was an invasion of, of more of heaven than I even knew was possible to come in a room. You know, it's like uh, when Princess Diana got married. Do you everybody watch that movie? I mean, watch that movie. Watch that wedding. On I remember all the old folks. I remember we were in our bus. We were driving across Idaho. We were driving across Idaho, headed. No, we were driving across Wyoming, headed to Idaho, and uh, we were trying to watch TV. And Luke and Laura are about to get married. And so I, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to watch Luke and Laura get married. And so my mom convinced dad to stop on a, on a hill and we rolled up our antenna. It was, he had to crank it open. And so. Can I I share for the young folks in the room? Luke and Laura were characters on a soap opera that I think is still on the air called General Hospital. Okay. I'm just interpreting. Luke just died a few weeks ago. And Laura is now the mayor of Port Charles. I know this because I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> uh, so, 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 we're trying to watch the wedding, and and then for, I don't even know how they worked this out, but somehow uh, Luke and Laura are watching the wedding of Prince Charles and Princess Diana, and so we. But so I'm saying all of that to say when she came in that cathedral and her train just kept on coming in she's halfway down the aisle and her train is still coming in the back door I I, I want you to get that visual again you can see if you'll open up if you allow yourself to see I want you to envision so when I'm here on the edge of the stage and the glory of God starts coming in and it just keeps on coming in It was, uh, the best way I can describe it is the terror of God broke into the room. And I remember crawling back to that black grand piano and climbing under there and laying on the floor. And all I could do was groan and be marked by the kabod of God. We've seen revivals. We've experienced them. I've, met, I've been privileged to meet the pastors and uh, from the Toronto revival, but I was actually in a revival in London with the pastors in Toronto and in peculiar people, but the mark of God was on them. I saw God do things in London that blew me away. Manifestations. Uh, I, I've heard of the revivals in South America and Africa and um, even the Far East, even in Australia, all over the world during that time, revival was breaking out. But I have to tell you, we have not yet seen what happens 
when the glory of God, we know what it's like when it comes to a church, but I don't think we've yet seen what happens when the glory of God comes to a city. When it falls on a city, we know what it looks like when he visits the church. But what if the glory of God didn't just break out at dwell? What if what if Bishop down at Potter's house had an invasion? What if Watermark had an invasion? What if what if every what if the glory hit the city? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a picture in, in just a second of what I think that could look like. Sometimes we have false premises about revival and the people of God in true revivals. They cause us to have a misunderstanding and uh, a, a wrong definition this is what I want to get to and I don't know how long this will go but I'm just going to read you a few things a couple weeks ago when I spoke I talked I read some things uh, that Duncan Campbell at the Hebrides revival some of the things some of his remarks about revival someone asked Duncan to define revival and he touched on it with this reply I'm going to read it to you he said first Let me tell you what I mean by revival. An evangelistic campaign or a special meeting is not revival. Wednesday night, having a Wednesday night and sticking revival on Instagram and calling it revival does not necessarily make it revival. In successful evangelistic crusades, There will be, this is Duncan's words, there will be hundreds, even thousands of people making decisions for Jesus Christ, but the community may remain untouched and the churches continue much the same as before the outreach. But in revival, God moves into the region. Suddenly, the whole community becomes God conscious and the spirit of God grips men and women in such a way that even work is given up as people give themselves to waiting upon God. In the midst of the Lewis Island awakening, what we call the Hebrides revival, the parish minister wrote, the spirit of the Lord was resting wonderfully on the different townships of the region. His presence was in the homes of the people, on the meadow. Do we have meadows here? I love, I love his language. And the moorland and the public roads. The presence of God is the supreme characteristic of a God-sent revival. Of the hundreds who found Jesus Christ during this time, fully 75% were saved before they came near a meeting or heard a sermon by myself or any other minister in the parish. The power of God was moving in an operation that the fear of God gripped 
the souls of men before they ever reached the meeting. I will never be content merely to see the glory of God flow down the beautiful carpeted aisles of our churches. I want to see it flow down the streets of our city. Uncontrollable, unstoppable, unstoppable flood of glory that carries along everything in its path. I want his glory to invade the malls and the grocery stores, the health spas, the bars. I want to hear unchurched people say that they had to abandon an expensive entree at the restaurant to follow the dripping trail of God's glory to a church somewhere and demand, somebody tell me what to do. If good sermons and good songs are going to save the world, it would, have, it would already be saved. There's a missing ingredient, and that divine ingredient is knocking at the door. Can you hear? I wish I would have planned this and had someone ready over at the door and knocking really loud. This divine opportunity is knocking at the door. The Hebrides revival provides a brief hint of what happens when God breaks out. While describing the first days of the movement in the Hebrides Islands, Duncan Campbell remembered closing out a service in a crowded church and noticing that the congregation seemed reluctant to leave. Many of the people just stood outside of the church building in silence that was almost tense. Suddenly a cry is heard within. A young man burdened for the souls of his fellow men is pouring out his soul in intercession. Campbell said the man prayed until he collapsed and lay prostrate on the floor of the church building. He said the congregation moved by a power they could not resist came back into the church and a wave of conviction swept over the gathering moving strong men to cry out to God for mercy. So Tommy will be here again on Sunday. My expectation is high. His is as well. Tommy shared some of this with me 20-something years ago when we first started working together. He had connections with someone who knew had been uh, connected to Duncan Campbell. He said, I asked an English friend about this particular incident, and it turns out he had heard Duncan Campbell speak about it. He told him most of the people had already left the church, according to Mr. Campbell, but he said the postman stood up and prayed. And then this young man stood up. I'll never forget the words he said. You've heard me say it before. Oh God, you promised. All of a sudden, it sounded like chariot wheels were rumbling on the roof of the church building. The next thing we knew, the church was filling back up again. 
They learned later that many of the people had already started home when they suddenly felt the call to retrace their steps and return to the church building to pray. During some points of the Hebrides revival, Campbell said, most of them, the converts to Christ, only came to church to tell us that they had been converted because they would be weaving at a loom. I love the language. Or they would be plowing in the field when God would convict them right where they were. They just showed up to say, where do I join and what do I do? Do we even grasp that happening? Do we even consider that that could happen in Dallas? If we don't have a sovereign visitation, we're in trouble. That bears repeating. If we don't have a sovereign visitation of God, we are in trouble. We must stop looking to man. Where are the young men or the old men or the women who will stand in our midst and cry out, God, you promised. What would happen if right here, right now, somebody caught a hold of the story that I'm telling you and you just, it just, it overtook you and you stood up. God, you promised that you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. I remember being so affected by this story. When we recorded our album, uh, The Sound of Heaven, there's one point on that album, I think, I was thinking about it today. I have to go listen through the whole thing to find out. But I was so moved by this story at what we were singing, I think, Pray for Rain. And then there was just this flow time. And I remember just singing out, you promised, you promised, you promised. We got to stop looking to the platform for the power of God. We have to put, we have put enormous pressure on the pulpits. for the men of God to manipulate and create what only can come from God. We need to wait on Him. We need to seek Him until something breaks out in the heavens. According to Duncan Campbell, and I love this history and I'm gonna try to stop. Thanks for staying with me. See, this is what I believe. I don't believe I have to preach for an hour and a half. I just have to cause you to see the possibilities of what might happen. What might happen if we get so desperate for God that we forget about what people think about us and we lose all sense of control over our own emotions and we can rise up in any meeting and begin to cry out, God, come! 
We certainly want to create the atmosphere with our worship. We want to provide. The right song, the right lyric. Maybe you don't know what to say, but then suddenly you hear, I want more. Then it gives you, it gives you something to say. I, I feel that way. And you just start saying with them, I need more. Give us more. I just have to read this. According to Duncan Campbell, this divine visitation just continued. They tasted a measure of divine habitation that rocked the region. One evening as the congregation was leaving the church and moving down toward the main road, the Spirit of God fell on the people in a Pentecostal power. No other word to describe it. In a few minutes, the awareness of the presence of the Most High became so wonderful and so subduing that one could only say with Jacob of old, Surely the Lord is in this place. And there under the open heavens, and by the roadside, the voice of prayer was mingled with the groans of the repentant as free grace awoke men with light from on high. Soon the whole island was in a grip of the mighty movement of the Spirit, bringing deep conviction of sin and a hunger for God. This movement was different than the other islands. But there were physical manifestations and prostrations. There were that, but the work was as deep and the result was enduring. It's a picture, a foretaste of God's will for the church today. Again, I'll say it. We know what it's like when God visits a church. But I cry out for the day where all of us in a mass Damascus Road encounter can know what it's like for conviction to hit an entire city. Not just a small island. What about what could happen in Dallas? Now, I know some great churches here where God is moving. But I also see a lot of organized religion. But I want you to know the desire of God for his people is greater than we can even imagine when we try to describe our hunger for the move of God. He so wants to visit his people in the earth. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I see Cynthia, uh, Cole, you back there. So Cole and Anna and uh, Cynthia, is, they're, they're expecting babies in July. I remember when Nicole and I were expecting Cole. It's our first time. We thought, we thought that people would tell us, you know, this is going to happen. They would tell us that our sleep was going to be messed up. We would have to figure out, you know, this, but, but, and we thought, okay, yeah, we know, we know, we know. We didn't have a clue. We didn't have a clue. I remember one night, 
coal would not shut up. But he's only like six months old, but he was just constant, constant tears, constant. And I remember laying on the couch in that little uh, loft area. And, and the only way he would quit crying is if, if I would hold him up in the air and his stomach, the pressure would be on my, my hand would cause pressure and that would uh, cause for whatever discomfort he was having. And he would just, he would settle down. And I remember laying on the couch, God, how long is this gonna take? Oh God! And then we discovered these suppositories. And it brought such relief. To him and us. I'm not going to create some kind of metaphor uh, for revival. But that's how I feel. God, how long... Do we wait for this promise? How long do we have to keep putting ourselves out and and talking about a move? How long before you show up and break out? How long? God, you promised. We wish we knew what to do and say about the war in the Ukraine. And, but God, there's so much going on in the last couple of years with COVID and, and political upheaval and just craziness. How long? How long do we have to sustain this position of prayer? Because I'll, I'll wait as long as it takes because I've seen you before. I've seen you before and I know what is possible and I live for it and I'll fight for it and I'll stand in the gap and I'll cry out for it and I'll just keep holding up the little baby and until and and try to sustain and bring some comfort and try to bring some encouragement and say it'll be okay and sometimes I'll cry and say God how long? coming revival is not going to be about sermons and information. It's going to be about worship and impartation. The preaching of the word won't stop, but the sermons that come will serve the same purpose as Peter's impromptu sermon on the day of Pentecost. They won't necessarily produce, our sermons won't necessarily produce the desired actions in people. They'll come after the fact. The glory of God will hit and then the, then the sermons will be an explanation of what we just encountered. 
that's what I just declare in this room, that, that the glory will so invade during our worship, miracles will break out because that's what happens when he gets close. Mass miracles, mass deliverance. When the glory of God comes, we don't have to do warfare and yell at demons and command them to come out. When the light of God's glory comes on, every demon in the room would surrender and, and escape as fast as they could as the light of God's glory begins to shine in our midst. That we become such a people of prayer and a people of power and a people of his presence the suddenlies of God the rushing in of God but you'll never have the suddenly of God without the waiting of man and so we wait but we go after the face of God thank you for joining us today at the dwell church podcast for more information about dwell church visit us at dwell.church.